You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is uh, Father James Scholl. We are dealing with the program on the introduction to political philosophy, and we are reading the uh, second section of the uh, Cicero's uh, consideration, which has to do with a very, very uh, important and great book of Cicero called On Duties. The Grant edition, the Penguin edition, which we read, contains the third and most important part of that treatise, which is about what happens or how do you resolve a conflict between what is advantageous and what is right. This particular essay has been one of the most widely read essays in the history of the world. Many writers have imitated it and have tried to equal it. It remains a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of rhetoric, of clarity, of insight, and also gives us some uh, uh, understanding of the Roman mind. We saw in the first part where Cicero is talking about the Senate, about the necessity to reform the Senate, and the power of eloquence or rhetoric to contribute to that. We also saw that his consideration of old age took into consideration why old age was useful both uh, to the polis and why it was important to consider in its own right, since it is, in fact, the end of all human beings. So I have always tried to have young men and women read the essay on old age, uh, particularly because it foreshadows in a long run their own future lives and explains to them much about the elderly people that they know. This particular essay is a classic essay in a way in the difference between the Romans and the Greeks and also in the difference between the style of Aristotle and the style of Cicero. It's almost invariably true that Cicero is easier to understand and uh, more eloquent than Aristotle was. Now, part of the reason for that is that we don't really have Aristotle's most eloquent works, whereas we do have Cicero's most eloquent works. What we have of Aristotle is probably notes or commentaries that he had about the classes that he was teaching. The more scholarly or more, um, shall we say, uh, literary works of Aristotle, uh, and there were some, have apparently been lost, so we no longer have them. <clears throat> Aristotle, however, was a Greek theologian, philosopher, and Cicero was a Roman lawyer, uh, politician, and also a philosopher in his own right. He was, in some regards, a Stoic. In other regards, uh, he was a skeptic. On the other hand, he was a man of great uh, integrity and great 
eloquence and argued for the rightness of principle over um, advent advantageousness. What we will do here is take a look at the uh, essay on duties, the Deo Fitiis in Latin, and see what Cicero uh, has to uh, offer to us. This essay is very, in a certain sense, is very easy to read. The difference between Aristotle and Cicero is that Aristotle doesn't give you very many examples. He might give you one example to prove his point and go on. Cicero gives you 10 or 20 examples uh, because his audience is different. Cicero's audience is a normal, normal uh, person who isn't as insightful as very often as the uh, students of Aristotle, and so therefore there are more examples given. So the more examples you need to get a point, a sign is of uh, lesser intelligence in a certain sense. So if you don't need any examples or only need one example to get the principle involved, that's a sign of greater intelligence than one who takes 20 examples to get the same point across. But either way, it is getting the same point across that is important, and Cicero understood this. So Cicero's audience, he calls it the second-class citizens, as it were, as opposed to the first-class, and he's referring to the difference between Plato's Republic and Plato's laws, or between the notion of the best and the second-best uh, society. And in the second-best society, you have people who are not nearly as intelligent or as virtuous as they are in the best regime. And therefore, Cicero wishes to address them. And therefore, when he addresses them, he addresses them uh, with more examples and more effort to be clear so that they will understand exactly the point he is driving at. The treatise on uh, duties again, is one of the most uh, famous and studied of all the works of Cicero. It is parallel to anything, if it is parallel to anything, it is to the ethics of Aristotle, as it deals with the moral life of the human being. And as Cicero says, it deals with moral philosophy, and the Romans seem to have been more interested in moral philosophy than they were in uh, metaphysics. As he said in the De Senectute, however, quote, no praise is too great for philosophy. So Cicero himself, as we will see, was uh, concerned about philosophical integrity. Uh, you will notice that the Romans in general uh, place moral philosophy, ethics, higher in rank, it seems, than metaphysics. That is a radical difference because it means that in a certain sense, politics is its own criteria. Whereas with Aristotle, that politics was subject to the transcendent order in a more clear sense. Aristotle then doesn't make politics or ethics the highest science but he does make it the highest of the practical sciences uh, and uh, 
that means that the sciences of those things that can be otherwise. Now this is important as it seems that ethics is limited by something higher than the human good in Aristotle. This is the meaning of the remark of Aristotle that if man were the highest being, politics would be the highest science. But since he is not the highest being, there were beings higher than man, then it follows that politics is not the highest science. And this is the meaning of the discussion on political prudence in Book 6 uh, and in the middle chapters of Book 10, where Aristotle tells us not to listen to those who tell us to concentrate only on human or mortal things. We mortal and uh, human beings, to be sure, and politics and ethics are legitimate. Uh, uh, they are themselves ordered to something uh, higher than themselves. In part, this is the meaning of Book One of Aristotle's Ethics. The treatise on duties is addressed to Marcus the son of Cicero, who is studying in Greece. He seems to have been a soldier. He seems not to have been a particularly good student. And uh, there's a certain poignancy, as we'll see at the end, in this essay in Cicero's efforts to educate his own son. So we look at the question then, as we'll see when we come to St. Augustine, who was, in fact, Cicero's real son? That's a very powerful question. The real son of Cicero is someone who understands and follows his, his lead. So there is something poignant about Cicero's efforts to have his son uh, interested in philosophy. Indeed, as we call he sent him to Athens as the center of philosophy for that very reason. And as we mentioned before, I think, that the relation of the Greek philosophers to the Roman soldiers and the Roman administrators is a very important factor in the history of our civilization. Cicero was to be killed the year after he wrote this essay. The son was probably not worthy of his father. So this essay is rather a gift to the ages. So he wrote it for his son, but in a certain sense we still read it, and it has been read, carefully read almost every century since it has been written. And as you will note in the introduction of Grant, it is one of the most read essays in intellectual history. So, in yourself reading it, you join a long list of those who have read this essay, and therefore you participate in the conversation of man over the ages about what it is to be an intelligent human being. The same is true for the ethics to which this book of Aristotle, this essay of Cicero, I mean, is related. 
as the subject matter of both is the same, namely, right human action. Cicero is one of the leaders in recognizing the importance of Greek thought and culture and making it available to the Romans. He is the one who translates many of the Greek words into Latin. The resulting culture is both Greek and Roman, and later on, when um, Christianity arrives in Roman, Christian and Jewish. Because of the interrelation of these on a theoretic level. So we have, in a certain sense, the Romans by themselves, the Greeks by themselves. Then suddenly the Greeks conquer the Romans and try to assimilate their wisdom. And then the Christians come along and try to assimilate the wisdom of both the Greeks and the Romans in a coherent philosophy. Post-Aristotelian philosophy was usually Stoic or Epicurean or Cynic. I see the discussion of this in the introduction. It was a reaction against Aristotle in the sense that human perfection was in some sense withdrawn from the public, from the polis. For Aristotle, one needs the polis to be virtuous, to be fully virtuous, or or complete, in other words. However, Roman Stoicism was very civic-minded, as this treatise shows, but at the same time, Stoicism itself wanted to believe that man could be perfect not by staying in the state, but by withdrawing from it. It is directed, unlike Plato or Aristotle, to the so-called, let us say this essay, is directed to the so-called second level of morality. The first best is the best, but the second is the second best. So the first best is those who do it for its own sake, and the second best are those who do it because they need persuaded to do it. Remember that in Book 7 of the Ethics, Aristotle had also said that he thought most people were not perfectly virtuous which is what the assumption of Cicero is. The method of Cicero is very rhetorical. He gives example after example of, of his point uh, that it is never right to prefer advantage to what is uh, a right. So you always prefer what is right to what is advantageous. Now actually, for a second level morality, Cicero is very strict. If you take him, if you take any of the many examples he presents, say the grain ship from Alexandria to Rhodes, or the selling of a defective house, you will all have this problem someday, or that of Regulus, the Roman general in Carthage. There is always this sense of doing wrong, that doing wrong is never good for oneself or the city. These accounts are to be read in Cicero, in the uh, thing. So this is what I want you to do, is to read carefully the text of the on duties as you find it in the grant book. 
he gives examples from many different walks of life to make the same point so that you will get the understanding of the relationship between advantage and what is right. This essay concludes by his telling his son Marcus that this philosophical treatise is the present a father has to give to his son. So it's a very noble thing if you realize it. What possible thing could a father give his son which would be more noble than this great essay that Cicero wrote in his old, and just, he wrote it the year before he was killed. Young Marcus does not seem to have been uh, too swift. He was a soldier and a drinker and a college student, no comment. But what Cicero gives him, he really gives to all of us. That is say, the treatise of Cicero addressed to his son, in a way, is addressed to every one of us throughout the ages. I would call your attention to the very first lines of this treatise. They are very famous and well worth uh, reflection. I will quote them. Publius Cornelius Scipio, the first of that family to be called Africanus, we call the Decenic Tudae, uh, the Third Punic War, so that the uh, Publius Cornelius Scipio uh, was a young man who was uh, fought in this particular war. And he said, Cicero continues, that he used to remark that he was never less idle than when he was, when he had nothing to do, and never less lonely than when he was by himself. So you might wonder about that, that we are never uh, less busy than when we have uh, nothing to do, and that we are not really idle than when we have nothing to do but that we are pursuing our own thoughts in the depths of our being. We need, in other words, to be at leisure, to be silent, to perfect and to deepen and to finally understand what we know. We are always out there doing something else. We will never have an opportunity to do this. Why is this idleness important? Essentially, it is because he had an internal philosophical life. That is to say, the man who was never less idle had an internal philosophical life that gave him the major and higher things to think about. So therefore, to be alone in a certain sense is necessary to really um, uh, understand and make profound insight into things. You will notice both in the De Offices and the On Duties and in the De Senectuti, the On Old Age, that this thinking is usually related to the well-being of the Republic in Cicero. Recall the political purpose of old age as well as its relation to individual life and the life after death as it appears in the essay on old age, that is to say, the, in old age, uh, old age is still useful because 
it has wisdom and can pass it on to the younger generation which is not aware of it yet. Again, the Romans were practical people, orderly, just, very tough. Cicero is clearly a lawyer, a philosopher, a uh, sentimental human being. See his letters to his daughter Tulia, for example, in this collection of grants. Cicero is famous as the founder of liberal education in the West. He gave us the forms of so many of our intellectual treatises and speeches. As we say in the speech against, as we saw in the speech against Berries, he could conceive both a noble purpose and an effective way to carry it out in the in a legal and political fashion. So remember the real difference between politics and uh, tyranny, if I can put it that way, you have to be careful, is that real politics doesn't have to do with force, it has to do with persuasion. And the only time force comes in is when persuasion fails. Often the Romans seem to us rather vain. Certainly you get that impression sometimes from reading Cicero. They were a people who had both a private and a family life and a public life, the forum. Their very history is itself a philosophical question, as we will see when we come to St. Augustine. This treatise seeks to complete the work of an earlier Stoic philosopher, Panaceus, and this is the third part of what to do uh, when advantage and right conflict. So you will notice that the treatise, as you read through it, is a long series of examples whereby you are to reflect on how advantage, that is say, doing a thing as justified because it helps you, is not really as valid as doing a thing because it is right. And Cicero's point is that if you do something which is not right, therefore you give some kind of authority to others to do it, to do what is not right, and therefore when they deal with you, you will also experience that they do it um, because of advantage and not right, and therefore you have no grounds to stand upon if you think that doing things for an advantage or advantages its own right. So the treatise in Cicero, in one sense, is a treatise on natural law, the great Stoic doctrine. If you read on book seven, and page seven, rather, of the Grant book, there is the famous definition of Cicero about natural law, which should be read again and again, and even memorized, that natural law is not different in one city or another city or one time or another time, but is the same in all times and all places. That is to say, there is a transcendent order uh, that judges all nations and all activities by some standard, some human standard, that is not arbitrary. The treatise, however, the treatise in the long run, 
is a treatise in moral philosophy, and it is a treatise that uh, seeks to imbue in, in us the necessity to strive for virtue as the principal principle the principle of our actions. The essay concludes, as I mentioned, with this poignant comment to his brother, his son Marcus, that this whole essay is a gift of his father to him, who has been sent to Athens precisely to study philosophy. And since we feel somehow that young Marcus was not really worthy of his father's essay, of his father's thought, we have the impression that the rest of mankind, if they can receive it, they can understand it, are the real object of the uh, concern of Cicero in writing this essay. Uh, as I say, this essay has been read again and again down the ages. It's an essay that well is well worth reading again and again, as you will see, and it will always be illuminating to us. And you'll notice when you read something great like the Ethics of Aristotle or the Old Age of Cicero or the uh, On Duties of Cicero, you will notice that every time you read it, you will get more insight, more penetration into the reality of the thing that he's trying to teach. But Cicero is a very good teacher. I always say that Aristotle is a very clear and forceful teacher, but Aristotle presumes that you're a very smart and very intelligent. So when he only gives you one example, he is complimenting you because you can figure out from that one example what the principle that he is driving at is for. But Cicero says he writes for the second best regime, that is to say, those who are not so intelligent or not so virtuous. And to order to convince them that it is uh, better to uh, do what is right than to do what is advantageous, he needs to give them many examples. And he does this in this treatise, which makes the treatise both charming <coughs> and uh, uh, a repetition again and again so that we get the point uh, that the res proper resolution of a conflict between what is right and what is advantageous is to do what is right. And that will ultimately redound to our own benefit, just as we expect others to do what is right. So if we can deal with others, remember we talked about this uh, in Book 5 of the Ethics about the virtue of justice. If we can expect the other person to be honorable and to be fair and to be just in our dealings with them, we will deal with them in a way differently than we would of someone who we suspect or know is not virtuous such that we have to protect ourselves in some sense or those we know from this person who is not totally virtuous. And so part of the point about the end of Aristotle's ethics and part of the point about the Romans is, and the Roman law is that, that for those who are not virtuous, uh, that is to say those who leave the household without virtue, without full virtue and control of themselves, it is sometimes required that coercion be used in order to prevent them from doing 
of wrong or evil things to others because they are not themselves internally virtuous. And so remember we said at the end of the um, ethics where Aristotle says that different regimes are constructed according to the kind of virtue or vice that the persons, the citizens of that city have. And therefore, they construct their city in order to foster those virtues or vices that they consider the most important thing. But here, Cicero has a transcendent um, uh, position, namely that there is a natural order and a natural law uh, which says basically that in, in Socrates' terms that it is never right to do wrong, in Cicero's terms that it is never right to prefer advantage to uh, what is right. So this brings us to the end of our consideration of Cicero. So read carefully those three documents that I have uh, selected for you, the uh, against Berries, the Old Age essay, and the essay uh, on, on duties. I might comment that there's another famous essay of Cicero on friendship, the De Amicitia, which is a very powerful essay and well worth reading in connection with Aristotle's uh, discussion in books 8 and 9 of the Ethics on Friendship. And those three treaties, those two chapters in Aristotle and the chapter in Cicero are the classical exposition of friendship as uh, it is understood in the natural order as a philosopher. And so therefore, we will next consider a book of Yves Simon called A General Theory of Authority, a modern book, but a book which goes back in a certain sense and uh, elucidates in philosophical terms, the issues in of about authority in political society and the meanings of the terms and the uh, the goods to which we pursue. The end of the discussion of Cicero. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at CatholicThinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.